Tonight, I just want to take a few minutes and examine the personal impact that the birth of Jesus had on the two main characters of Christmas. There were a lot of people involved with this story. As we looked on Sunday, you had the shepherds who were abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. They were included in the story. Without knowing it, an innkeeper was included in the story. Uh, wise men would come later, contrary to most popular opinion. It would be about 18 months before the wise men would show up. They were not actually at the nativity. It was always the joke in my household growing up when we would tell the Christmas story and we had these, these little figurines that my mom had and we would tell the story. We'd always have the wise men like in the dining room, you know, because they weren't even close yet. Uh, it would be another 18 months. And yet Mary and Joseph, no doubt, are the two central characters, aside from baby Jesus, to the story of of Christ, And I want to look at the personal impact of Jesus' birth, what it had on them, because I think in looking at that, uh, we're going to find an interesting lesson for how all of these things apply to us. And so if you'll, if you'll join me, Luke chapter 1, we're going to kind of start by looking at the backstory of Mary. Verse 26, Luke 1, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when Mary saw the angel, she was troubled at his sayings and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There'll be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And now this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And then if you jump to verse 56, we're told, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. From the text, consider what we know of Mary. In the Hebrew, her name would have been Miriam. There's no doubt that Mary lived in total obscurity. From the text, the historical record, we have zero mention of any aspects of her family. We have no mention of her parents, per se, any significant family members. Like It's only logical to assume that Mary did not descend from any type of wealth, nobility, or notoriety. Additionally, because we have no mention of, of a great personal achievement of Mary, it also seems likely that there wasn't anything intrinsic about Mary that would have brought her 
personal fame or glory or celebrity. In a sense, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a plain Jane. To most within Nazareth and probably the rest of the world, you might consider Mary, at least at this stage, a nobody. If not for these particular events and the ramifications that they would have, in all likelihood, Mary would have entered and exited this planet just as another nameless stat. You know, it's also clear from our text that Mary, she grew up in a rough part of town, located about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. The city of Nazareth, it was not as glorified uh, as we often like to conceptualize it. As a matter of fact, the better uh, idea of Nazareth is that it was a truck stop along the route that connected the Sea of Galilee with the Mediterranean. The town of Nazareth existed because it was the halfway point for merchants, for travelers. The town existed to service the needs of those who needed a place to stay. Therefore, the local economy of Nazareth consisted of nothing more than a few, you might say, questionable motels, no doubt a Waffle House, probably a liquor store, strip club, Piggly Wiggly, maybe, maybe a Kmart. No doubt there was a trailer park, probably where Mary grew up. As a result, there should be no surprise that historically speaking, Nazarenes were shady characters. Jesus, when Philip came and presented Jesus to his brother and said that Jesus was from Nazareth, in John chapter 1 verse 46, Nathaniel questions his brother's sanity by posing this snarky question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And why would he ask such a question? Nothing good ever had. You see, growing up in Nazareth, Mary would not have been raised in the lap of luxury. She would have been very poor. There was no gated community in Nazareth. Mary was afforded no silver spoon. She grew up what we would call on the other side of the tracks, in a neighborhood known for questionable characters the world would have judged Mary simply from where she lived. She would have been an outcast, a down and outer. By pure association, Mary would have been seen by the world as trailer trash. It's interesting to also point out that in spite of living in Nazareth, Mary did, though, have a glorious heritage. Notice the angel tells Mary that, quote, her son Jesus will be great, And he'll be called son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of whom? Well, his father, David. In Luke chapter 3, we're given the genealogical record of Mary's family that establishes this nobody from this podunk town of Nazareth as being a direct descendant of King David through his son, Nathan. Throughout Mary's veins coursed the blood of kings. Her bloodline, through it, she would give Jesus a legitimate claim to the throne of Israel. Which might also explain why Mary, in spite of all of these things, was a virtuous woman. That's what we also see from the text. Aside from the obvious importance of her virginity, the fact that that, that it had an impact on the incarnation, 
leading to, to Jesus being divine. The text calls him the Son of God. You know, you have to wonder, and when you read through the text, Luke, our author, goes through great lengths to make it clear over and over and over again a certain detail about Mary. Did you notice it? He goes above and beyond to make sure the audience knows that Mary was a virgin. And why does he do this when most would have assumed it? I mean, consider sex before marriage and this culture. It was forbidden by the law. It was considered taboo within Jewish communities. Most of Luke's readers would have assumed a young Jewish woman was a virgin, but mentioning that Mary was from Nazareth, but it would have eliminated that, that preconceived assumption. She lived in a town that serviced travelers. I mean, the slogan as you entered town was, what happened in Nazareth stayed in Nazareth. Because Nazareth existed to service the needs of trademen traveling through town, it's really not far-fetched to conclude women were a part of that service. You see, it's on account of Nazareth's bad reputation that Luke finds it necessary, important, to go the extra mile to make sure his readers, you and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this young gal, Mary, wasn't like the normal Nazarene woman. In a culture of short skirts and loose hips, it's obvious Mary had chosen a different path. She'd responded, though, though we're really not told, we're not given her backstory, she had responded to a higher calling. Mary had resisted social pressures. She'd remained pure before God. Mary indeed was a virtuous woman. Our text is also clear that Mary's noble reputation had caught the attention of God. Though we don't know where or when this exchange occurs, Luke tells us the angel Gabriel, sent with a message from God, appears to Mary, young Mary, who's somewhere between 12 to 15 years old, with a very unique declaration. Look at the text again. We read, rejoice. What? Highly favored one. The Lord is with you, Blessed are you among women. You see, in this greeting, Gabriel reveals three important things about Mary. One, she was highly favored. Favored. Grace. God had chosen her, had favored her. We're also told that the Lord was with her. And finally, that she was blessed because Mary found favor with God. Gabriel tells us that she would be blessed among woman, women. Literally, the text implies this phrase, among women, that she would be blessed in a way that no other woman had ever been blessed before. There is no doubt that Mary had a heart, a longing for God that brought with it incredible favor from God. Though unknown to the world around her, Mary's reputation had reached the, the rooms of heaven. Of all the women to have ever lived, this young gal in Nazareth, this virtuous woman, would be blessed with the privilege of mothering the Son of God. It should also be pointed out that Mary was deeply spiritual. Her reaction to the angel's appearance is funny to me. An angel appears, right? With quite a declaration. I'd be freaking out, but, but Mary's reaction, we're told that when she saw him, 
she was troubled, not at the angels appearing, but at what the angel had to say. And she's standing there, we're told, considering what manner of greeting this really was. Mary was not troubled at the sight of an angel. Instead, her consternation came as she's trying to grasp the meaning and the implications of what the angel had said. You know, when you consider the cultural limitations that were placed in Mary's way, women were uneducated, often illiterate. Even in Jewish circles, young girls were were limited in their exposure to the scriptures. Mary, there was nothing that would imply that that she had things set up for her. And yet, the, the deep spiritual sentiment she displays is quite remarkable. The depth, the contemplation, the knowledge that she demonstrates as a young woman passionate about the things of God, there was an attunement of her heart. There's not much surprise that Mary's reputation had reached the halls of heaven. We don't have a time to do it, but maybe in the next few days to come, you might take a minute and read uh, what's called the Song of Mary. She sings this song after this happens. Luke, verses 46 through 55 of chapter 1, records this song. And if you go through it, you'll note the many deep theological concepts that this young woman refers to. It's quite amazing. Another thing that you should note about Mary is that she had faith in God's word. Following an extended conversation with Gabriel detailing her pregnancy, after receiving the instructions to go visit her relative Elizabeth, Mary summarizes the entire experience in in a a remarkable way. She declares, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Consider the fact that there was zero precedent of a virgin ever conceiving. Like what she has just been told is mind-blowing. It's not like it's ever happened before. She's been told that she's favored, that something's going to take place in her life that has never, ever, ever taken place before. It's remarkable because then Mary, she demonstrates faith that she would indeed supernaturally conceive just as the angel had said and that her son would be the son of God. You know, she had been told, for with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary believed that in her heart. She accepted God's word. She humbly embraced the new direction that her life was about to take. And while all of this is amazing, Mary, there is one hiccup to her story. Mary, while all of this is happening, was betrothed to Joseph. In Jewish culture, a wedding consisted of three stages. First, there was the engagement, which often was nothing more than than an arrangement made between fathers. It was pre-arranged marriages. Then came afterwards a betrothal or a ceremony where the gal and and the man became legally husband and wife. So an agreed upon arrangement then a betrothal, which made it a legal wedding, a marriage. But then the husband would go and prepare a home. And there would be an unspecified period of time. They're married, they're betrothed, but she's at home waiting for her husband to come get her. Because they're betrothed, 
while all of this is taking place, while Joseph is home busy making a place for them, she's legally married. Mary's living at home. She's in a deep sense of anticipation. She's waiting for Joseph to come take her. She's ready to start a life. She's ready to be joined with her husband. And then a bomb gets dropped in her life. In the midst of all of these things, Gabriel appears and tells her, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. You know, it's easy to read through the story and admire Mary, admire her faith, and yet completely miss the ramifications of what those words meant for her life. Mary's faith takes on a whole new dynamic when you consider the implications that Jesus would have for her future. According to Luke, Mary would spend the first three months of her pregnancy out of town, which was a safe place, ministering and serving, hanging out with Elizabeth. But then, after these three months... Following the birth of John, Mary would return to Nazareth, starting to show the signs of pregnancy. It's at that point, some splaining would need to be done. Like, there's no doubt that Mary trusted God with her future. But let's be honest for a minute. This pregnancy, while incredible, really complicated things. Like, she's going to have to go home, back to Nazareth, and explain the unexplainable. Like imagine the scene, like try to get yourself into Mary's shoes. She comes back from hanging out with Elizabeth. She gets back to the house. Like as a daughter, how do you explain this pregnancy to your parents? Like you're betrothed. Joseph wasn't over with Elizabeth as a betrothed wife. Like, like, how would she explain things to Joseph? Like, imagine that conversation. I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. Like, we had made vows. I was waiting. You were supposed to be waiting. I have been, Joseph. I've been waiting all this time. I've been faithful. I haven't done anything wrong. Then, then uh, do we need to go back to the birds and the bees, hon? Well, you see, an angel appeared to me. Uh-huh. And, and this, it, it was a supernatural thing. I'm still a virgin. Like in what universe? Like that's the story she has to tell. That's the story she has. It's not like she Facebook live streamed the whole interaction with Gabriel. For all to see, no. People have to take her word for it. And don't forget that according to Jewish law, a woman presumed to be in adultery could be stoned to death. At a minimum, her pregnancy, if it didn't result in her death or execution, would at least result in a public scorn, a humiliation, the reality is that Mary's fate, and now rested with Joseph, mainly God, but it was out of her hands. This is what's so amazing about Mary. Even with the knowledge that Jesus' birth 
would turn, would flip her world upside down, throwing every single plan and dream into limbo. She rejoiced. Even knowing she was going to potentially lose Joseph, she rejoiced. Mary had counted the cost, and she concluded that no matter what happened, her life would be far better with Jesus than it would be without. That's faith. Let's look at Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, if you'd turn there. Beginning with verse 18. If you're new to the scriptures, if you were in Luke, you'll just go to the left a couple pages. Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, meaning he's not sure, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in hers of the Holy Spirit And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name, as we sang, Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, did not know her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, And Joseph called his name Jesus. You know, it's easy to overlook an important detail concerning the story. With all of this stuff happening with Mary, Joseph is completely oblivious. Totally out of the loop. Since the betrothal, what's he been doing? He's been at home, rolling up his shirt sleeves, building a house. Joseph's days have been filled with labor His nights, no doubt, enraptured with anticipation. Joseph's thoughts are filled with hopes and dreams of the wonderful life he and Mary are soon going to have together. Joseph cannot wait for the completion day when he can go and get his bride. I'm sure that the news that Mary had gone to care for Elizabeth during her final trimester wouldn't have caused any, any alarm. No red flags would have gone up. That was a customary thing. But following Mary's return home, a rumor begins to spread through Nazareth from trailer park to trailer park. Imagine, once again, you can detach yourself from the emotions of the story. But you're Joseph, and you get news that your betrothed, legally binding wife, that you're doing all this hard labor for, has come back pregnant. She's been knocked up. I don't mean that sacrilegiously, but I'm sure that that was like a bomb going off in his brain and his heart. Like in that one moment, like all of his plans, his hopes were dashed, ruined. His heart, I can imagine, was overcome with an incredible pain. His thoughts raced. His imaginations, I'm sure, ran wild. No doubt, Joseph is in complete shock, total disbelief. 
Imagine his hurt that first time he sees Mary. Their conversation. Her explanation. Do you think there had been a guy down the, down the street? Maybe he had been flirting with Mary, an old fling. Joseph's thinking, it was that guy. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to get him. He grabs his baseball bat. You know, if baseball was a first century game. Like, just what's going on inside of him? That's tough. Matthew indicates Joseph. He's a just man, but he's skeptical. He's skeptical concerning Mary's explanation. Like, how do you really believe, honestly, that a virgin conceives? Like, we're told Joseph, her husband, not wanting to make a public example of her, was minded. He was considering just putting her away secretly. Not making a public example, public scorn. Not act, but he's wrestling with what to do. After his initial emotions subside, the most logical conclusion that he can reach, in my estimation from the text, is that Mary had probably just lost grip on reality. Going to put her away secretly. Like, I mean, how do you really take a woman while pregnant who's staunchly declaring her innocence, like how do you, something is lost. Some, something's not firing right. Mary's had an episode of some kind. I mean, she's claiming that the Holy Spirit has, has come above her and that she has God's kid inside of her tummy. That's bizarre. It was well within his right to have Mary dragged into the town square, stoned to death. But I mean, really, if she's come unhinged, how do you do that to a crazy person? Joseph is leaning, the way the text frames it, towards putting her away secretly or filing for divorce. When we're told an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and confirms Mary's story. <laughs> Imagine the radical swings of emotion within Joseph. That man, skepticism, turns to wonderment. Despair morphs into excitement. Pain becomes relief. Matthew tells us Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. Imagine the tears in that moment where Joseph runs over to Mary's house and grabs her hands and says, I believe you. Imagine Mary's relief. I told you. You should have listened to me ahead of time. That's what every man, every man hears from his wife. You should have listened. I knew what I was talking about. But just the emotions. You know, as with Mary, it's easy to see Joseph's obvious faith. God had clearly spoken to him. As crazy as the whole thing seemed, Mary was indeed carrying God's kid. Mary had been faithful to him. She hadn't betrayed him. She still loved him. Despite how unbelievable all of these things were, Joseph, he not only believed in God's word, but he was faithful to obey God's word. As Mary's husband, what's amazing is he had been chosen to be God's stepdad. What an honor. What grace. 
to be included in the story. Like Mary, Joseph's faith, it takes on a whole new dynamic when you also consider the implications Jesus' birth would have on his life. I mean, if people thought Mary had lost her mind, Joseph's actions would have equally left people scratching their heads, right? I mean, think about the conversation that Joseph would then have to have with his parents, with his buddies. I could see his mom being like, you're a good-looking kid, Joe. There are other fish in the sea. You don't have to be desperate. But seriously, she's been faithful. Like, people thought Mary was crazy. Now that Mary's in the, Joseph's in the story, people also had the same conclusions. Maybe even worse. In conclusion, by looking at the impact of Jesus, his birth, what it had on their lives, I'm going to close with four observations I think are applicable to us. First, like Mary and Joseph, Jesus' involvement in your life is a direct result of God's grace coupled with your willingness to believe his word. Like, God didn't choose Mary, nor did he choose Joseph, because they were wealthy, or they were educated, or they had connections. God chose Mary and Joseph, two kids from Nazareth, the middle of nowhere, total obscure. He chose them because he loved them. It wasn't their families. It wasn't their notoriety. God didn't care that they had grown up on the wrong side of the tracks. It didn't matter that the world didn't have a clue who they were. God chose Mary and Joseph because he knew they both were willing to receive his grace and respond to his word in faith. Mary and Joseph they both, from the text, they accepted God's word. They believed in God's word. Then they acted upon God's word, trusting that God had their future in his hands. Like, I hope you know that though in this world's eyes, you might also be a nobody. Never forget that God is more than willing to include you in his story in spite of all of those things. Like Mary and Joseph, God is simply looking for people who will hear his word, accept his invitation, receive his favor, and make a decision to trust God with their futures. Secondly, like Mary and Joseph, Jesus' involvement in your life will be inevitably misunderstood by the world around you. That's important. When Mary and Joseph tried to explain what God had revealed to them, they were met with scorn and disbelief. Like to the onlooker, the divine involvement of God in their lives seemed illogical, unreasonable. Mary and Joseph are insane. And for the rest of their lives, there would always be people who would mock and doubt their story. Even when Jesus' earthly ministry ensued, some 30 years later, detractors still questioned the origins of his birth. 
But you know, it should be pointed out that God didn't leave either Mary, nor did he leave Joseph without a support structure. Think about it. Mary receives this incredible news, this radical news, this life-altering news. But then God sends her to whom? To Elizabeth, who you can read her story, was an older gal who had supernaturally conceived, bearing John the Baptist. Like God sent Mary to the one other woman that understood what she was going through. Oh yeah, that angel Gabriel. You met him? Yeah, we did too. Yeah, God's going to do a work. Oh, baby. Yep, been there. Seems nuts, doesn't it, Mary? Yeah. Isn't God good? And then Mary was able to see that little baby supernaturally conceived. That little baby, John. Joseph. Who did, who did God have for Joseph? <laughs> who was the one person in the world that could understand what Joseph was now going through? When he gets word from the angel, well, Mary, Joe, I know, it's crazy. But that's kind of how God rolls, right? We're in it together. I get it. No one else does. Everyone thinks I'm nuts. Now they think you're nuts. Well, we'll just be nuts together. It's okay. You know, when it comes to Jesus' supernatural transforming Involvement in your life. Though you can expect the world to doubt you, to oppose you, even make fun of you, always know that God will provide friends who understand, who get it, who can encourage you in your time of need, people who understand. Thirdly, like Mary and Joseph, Jesus' involvement in your life is not going to make your life easier. And that's kind of a weird point to make here Christmas. You know, nothing like leaving you with an uplifting thought. Hey, that newborn baby is going to make things difficult. But it's the truth. It's the truth. It should be considered. Like practically speaking, right from the beginning, Jesus made Mary and Joseph's lives terribly complicated. Like not only would they have to deal with the scandal surrounding Jesus' birth for years to come, People would call Mary a liar her whole life. But practically speaking, even after they got over the initial hump, things go from bad to worse, from difficult to more difficult. Like consider what follows. A trip to Bethlehem with a, a wife that's nine months pregnant. That's terrible. And then what? They have to shack up in a stable. Because the end's been overbooked. And then your wife goes into labor in the stable. Like, God, could you not, like, work any of this out? Come on, man. And then, and then if that wasn't bad enough, you finally get through it. We had to make the travel to Bethlehem. We have to end up in the stable. There's no room in the inn. I've got to now deliver this baby. I fainted. Mary does it. I wake up, we clean up, we settle in for the night. Then what happens? A group of outlaws crash the party. Like you finally get settled in. The baby goes to bed. Knock, knock, knock. 
and it's a bunch of shepherds. Really, Lord? How, like, at what point was it a silent night, honestly? It gets worse. If you think the outlaws showing up, these shepherds being the welcoming party with balloons and cigars, right? You then get another visit from a group of Middle Easterners who show up. That's weird. And then after those guys leave, there's an assassination attempt by an evil king. So you have to, under the cover of darkness, leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt. Like the first two years of all of this, of Jesus, did not make their lives smooth or easy. It made it really difficult. All because of Jesus. Like I'm not going to lie to you. Involving Jesus in your life is not going to provide you some type of immunity to the struggles of life. The truth, as illustrated by this very Christmas story, when Jesus gets involved in your life, it will make your life much more complicated. That's the truth. And yet, my final point is that like Mary and Joseph, Jesus' involvement in your life though it makes things more complicated, will never be something you'll ever regret. Now, the interesting thing about this story is that Mary and Joseph were not forced participants. As a matter of fact, it's, it's within reason to conclude Mary, upon word of Gabriel's pronouncement, could have kind of been like, time out. Like, that's great. But, No. And then the angel disappears. Like, Mary goes along with it. Joseph had options, right? Even after the dream, he wakes up. He could have chalked up the vision to a bad burrito. But what does he do? He decides to marry, to marry Mary anyway. It's amazing. You see, each Mary and Joseph, both people, they had a moment in time where they had to make a decision. Allow this to complicate their lives or to allow this to complicate their lives? Was it worth it? You see, they both made decisions that their lives would be far better with Jesus than without. Though more complicated, more complex, their decision to be a part of Jesus' story is something we're looking at now 2,000 years later. Friend, will choosing Jesus complicate your life the way that your life is? <laughs> will it flip your plans on its head? Will it radically alter the future that you had for yourself? Absolutely. It's true. That when you choose Jesus, when you include Jesus, when you make the decision to be included in his story, Jesus really does change everything 
But I can promise you this, that the changes will always be for the better. Yes, it changes everything. And it complicates many things. But the reward far outweighs everything else. This evening, God, he's speaking through his word, demonstrating to you that his grace is inviting you to involve yourself in the life of his son. There's no pressure here, but there is a challenge. Will you accept that invitation in faith? Will you count the costs? Will you decide to include yourself in his story? I pray you will. And so, Father...